Is Alexander Usyk ready for Tyson Fury and Anthony Joshua? Or is he just the best super cruiserweight in the world? This is After the Bell, Mirror Fighting's boxing show in association with Betfair. It's the WBA heavyweight champion of the world! Float like a butterfly and sting like a beast! The Mirror brings you After the Bell in association with Betfair. Welcome to this week's show. I'm Martin Dorman, joined by George Groves and Declan Taylor. Please do subscribe, rate, give me a thumbs up wherever you're watching or listening to this show. We are, of course, going to focus on Alexander Usyk's victory over Derek Chisora on Saturday night, a points victory in the end. We'll then talk briefly about Savannah Marshall's world title victory, but Lee Selby's world title eliminator defeat. And then in part two, have a look at the super featherweight slash lightweight division, which really is burgeoning right now as Javonta Davies knocked out Leo Santa Cruz with a stunning uppercut in the sixth round of their clash. And we'll just bring in a bit of Devin Haney as well, who is in action next weekend. But first things first, we all said Alexander Usyk would beat Derek Chisora. We predicted the fight this week. George, I'll come to you first. What did you like? I assume he liked his performance, but what did you like about Usyk's performance on Saturday night? Yeah, Usyk, <coughs> excuse me, Usyk boxed very well. Um, so he's settling into the heavyweight division. Like that was what um, was the concern that was raised by you know um, the Chisora team by David Hay in particular. You know, was that um, Chisora is a big man, a big guy. You know, he's naturally probably close to freestone heavier than him. Um, on the night, and how's Usyk going to cope and deal with that? So, at the start, that you know, if you're an Usyk fan or you got some money on Usyk, you know, uh, beginning early or late, um, it's hot in your mouth moments for a little bit because he needs um, to settle the bigger guys in front of him. I feel so for the first two rounds, it was almost like a risky tactic where he was burning up a lot of energy. Um, Maybe not as much as Derek Chisora, but he was definitely burning up a lot of energy for a big guy who's now carrying around, you know, a bit of extra weight um, that he's brought up from the cruiserweight division. Um, he pulling out high a lot of the time, and someone like Derek Chisora who punches so long, you know, he he throws him from the hips. He's a bit of a gunslinger at times, but he will happily change stance to get even more range and reach on these big loopy hooky shots. And you don't know whether they're going to come downstairs or he's going to change it to an upstairs you know, hook, but you can come left side, right side. They are, they are sort of, um, you can see them coming if you're a fighter like Usyk, but it, as I say, if you're pulling up high and you try to catch it with that, with that, you know, with just an arm defense, then, or a hand defense, then, you know, the odd one can go through. And they did in the first couple of rounds, a couple hit him on the chest. Um, one or two did land on the button. Um, I think Usyk's got a great chin, but obviously we're talking about heavyweight division. After that, once the sort of the pace does settle and the fighters are sort of engaged and um, they're trying to find their rhythm within the fight, this is kind of where he goes into his own. And, um, you know, you can see that for large periods of the fight, he just dictated the pace, you know, entirely. So he would see the shots coming. He would slip inside um, Chisora's um, long shots, which at times is kind of dangerous, but he just... You know, he's got his front leg loaded. His weight's on the front leg. He slips inside, almost like his stable mate Lomachenko does, create an angle, 
And at times he made Chisora look really amateurish where he would just sort of miss and go flying into the ropes. Um, I thought he boxed really well, really, really well. Come, um, you know, by by the midway through the, through the fight, I thought it was, you know, it was his to lose. In the seventh round, he pretty much had Chisora finished. Um, the bell possibly saved him, you know. And Chisora, my opinion, like he's, he wasn't getting the best advice in the corner. And obviously the, their, their game plan was to just keep applying pressure, hope to land on Chisora and just try and stay with him. I saw in the build-up Chisora saying that when Usyk likes to pull away, you know, in the second half of the fight, we're going to have to keep pace with him. The corner, I think, Chisora's corner was under the impression that he was winning the rounds and I didn't feel that was the case. I know Tony Bellew ringside was screaming and he thought he was winning the rounds. Eddie Hearn had it you know, going either way. But for me, I, I scored it, put out a tweet on the night. I gave Usek 9-3 and uh, the three rounds that he lost, again, probably the first, I think it was, I can't remember now, I've got a card, but second and maybe one in the middle. But he was probably anticipating that second wave, that last sort of onslaught from Chisora in, you know, the championship rounds, um, which came and went. And in the 11th, I thought he started to land again, probably could have put his foot on the, on the gas and tried to, to finish Trezor off, but but didn't need to. A very good performance, you know, but against a guy, same sort of stature in terms of height, even though I think he's given away reach, I haven't got the statistics here, um, and definitely given away some natural size. But off that performance, I think he put him in there with anyone, but whether he's going to be big enough with his style to deal with a Tyson Fury... Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But I also cryptically predicted, uh, cryptically tweeted last night that I make him the best pound for pound heavyweight in the, in the world. So I think I said it on the show the other week as well. Maybe after the show, um, sent 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 um, some people into outrage. They couldn't fathom what I said because I said he's the best pound for pound heavyweight, but not the best heavyweight. That's Tyson Fury, obviously referring to the fact that Tyson Fury is six foot nine. And 19 stone so um but technically a very very good fighter who moves around nice neat nimbly um has a much higher repertoire of shots compared to the other heavyweights in the division and um i think he's going to win a world title next year you know whether that be a vacant wbo world title or maybe not but he's still going to win a world title next year cryptic again of course <laughs> of course, plenty of discussion around about what's next. But Dick, what did you know before we get on to specifics? Your general feelings during and after the fight? Yeah, it was much the same as George. Really, although I did, I thought it was reasonably easy score a score to fight. A reasonably easy fight to score. I don't know why there was any sort of scream up whatsoever. And Eddie tweeted right after saying, oh, "People are split here." I'm like, "How are people split?" I thought it was pretty straightforward. Like. Chisora, yeah, he won a couple of rounds at the start. I think I had him 3-1 up after four. Um, and then it was basically, he tired, didn't he? He, he? he really put the pressure on early and he couldn't maintain the pace. And like George said, he might have got lucky at that, in those early rounds coming out like that. But then the gamble is that you put it all in, you put it all in early on and then you're knackered. And especially with Usyk, who's never stopping. His feet are so good that you're always under pressure the way he punches, the way 
obviously from Southport, which for, for, for a start, Derek Zazora at Southport, I don't, I've covered him a lot over the years. I'm pretty sure I've never seen him at Southport, so that was quite fun for however long it lasted. But um, yeah, that, the way he feints with the backhand and then lands his little sneaky hooks on the button every time and just spins out of the way. And Chisora's just sort of got this look on his face, like what, what's happening here? And when he was sitting down in between rounds, he's sort of obviously blowing. And, and he just, you can just imagine how frustrating that must be, especially for someone like him who just wants to get on your chest and just unload as much as possible. He just couldn't do it. And yeah, I thought it was a couple of risky, shaky moments for Usyk and you wonder, wow, okay, is this going to take it out of him? And it didn't. I guess it was kind of a little bit like that in the Bellew fight at the start where he wasn't like masterful in the early rounds against Bellew and he lost a couple and he got caught a couple of times, but then he took over and it was kind of similar in a slightly different way. But um, in terms of what that, the point of that fight was for Usyk, as in like a proper um, introduction to the heavyweight division, it was just about perfect. And Derek Chisora is more than a gatekeeper, but um, that that position he holds as someone who's been there and done it and will never give anyone an easy night and can knock people out, it's, it was the perfect one for Usyk to sort of introduce himself as a heavyweight, find his feet a little bit, and then now look, look around and see, right, who could he realistically beat? And I think, neck on the line, I think he beats every heavyweight apart from Fury. Um, and I think he'll win that vacant belt and I think he'll hold on to it for a long time. You mentioned the, sc the score in there. I mean, two judges did have it. Basically, one, if, they, if they'd scored one of their rounds to Chisora instead of Usyk, you would have had a draw, which is like, I know, but it's not beyond the rounds of possibility that they could have done that. Yeah. Um, I just, I agree with you on, on the scoring, but it was quite close to being very controversial. I think, you know, speaking to, for Sky to speak to Tony Bellew and Dave Caldwell, afterwards, both of whom have a vested interest or a friendship with Bellew, you're always going to get what they got, but it was, I think, it was a bit strange, what, actually. I think one of those as well, not only, you know, we hear a lot about the crowd influence and judges, um, but actually when there's no crowd, all you could hear, Chisora has, has got this big entourage out of nowhere, like a lot of MMA guys, obviously you've got Hay and he's got, you know, people there. They're making loads of noise. Every time he does anything, there was loads of noise and obviously nothing from Usyk. So yeah, there's no crowd, but actually judges can still be influenced by that. Eddie Hearn certainly influenced by that. And I think it was one of those where Chisora was doing better than many people expected and he was still in there at points and he was still hitting back. So then you sort of, you could be tempted to go, oh, he's done well in that round. Okay, maybe I'll give him that round. He, you know, he's done better than I expected. He's not totally out on his feet. He's come back a bit than what he does. But for me, I thought it was pretty straightforward. I thought it was pretty, pretty clear one-handedly. Um, and therefore, just about a perfect night. Didn't get, didn't get clipped at all. I mean, Usyk anyway. Chisora looked like, like George mentioned, he could have got stopped at the end of the seventh. He was really, seemed to be really badly buzzed. Um, and it's just that, that volume of punches, isn't it? He's not like a massive puncher, but they just come and then he's gone and then he's on you again. Um, and I think it, it's going to make for some real interesting fights, even though he's smaller. And to be honest, he will grow. I mean, weight-wise, he'll put some on. I'm sure he will. He's going to have to bulk up a bit, but that takes time, especially at his age. Mm. Yeah. I mean, also, if you look at... Sorry, George, you want to come in? Yeah, no, I, again, with the scoring, I... I was so shocked that it was so close, you know, two rounds, two rounds in it, because um, there was, so, you know, I mean, Bellew, I know Bellew is an emotional guy and he's definitely got a, a connection. I don't know if he does advise um, Derek or, 
or they're just good, real good friends. And Colwell probably follows Bellew's, um, Bellew's lead. But some of the stuff, like at the end, um, just goes to show again, maybe with no crowds, just how invested because Bellew said that he couldn't understand how Chisora had lost when he was throwing and landing three to one in terms of the shots. Um, you know, uh, Chisora was throwing compared to Usyk, and I was thinking. What happened there? Because Chisora has never thrown a two-punch combination and Usyk throws three, four, five, six, seven-punch combinations and that he's always got that little peppery jab that comes out from the southpaw stance. I think a large part of the success in the second half of the fight was for Chisora was just that period, that half around where he did go southpaw and Usyk was sort of thought, mm, I don't like to look at this and scratch his head and wait a little bit. They're probably expecting a a big loopy shot to come in and a change of stance where it'd be maybe be a big left hook where you finish in, a, in an orthodox stance. But, um, yeah, I, I thought, I thought I was, I was wondering at that point, I thought for me, it was e- a, a pretty easy, solid win for Usyk. Good win for him where he's, he now knows he's got the proof in the pudding that he's in there with someone who is more than a gatekeeper in the heavyweight division, um, in, in Chisora held his own, took a few shots along the way, had a rough ride, um, in terms of the physicality of it, but controlled the pace, which is what it's always going to be about for him, and then got his good work off and hurt Chisora as well. So I thought well, you can't, there can't be a, a, a sticky decision here. But you know, Eddie Hearn, I never thought he's ever been particularly good at scoring a fight. Um, you know, and um, yeah, it was it was was a bit was a bit bizarre at the end. But I thought I thought a conclusive win. I thought nine nine three was more than fair reflection of Chisora's effort because it's periods for Chisora like I think one thing that he works on and this is my humble opinion would be he's a dangerous fighter but when it's not that front foot all out sort of assault he's he's not dangerous when he wants to take a breather and every fighter wants to do that doesn't matter whether you're heavyweight or not there should be periods where he's still active but taking a breather and it was sort of like when 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 he wasn't you know trying to march forward, let his hands go, his hands sort of rested on his chest. He stood upright. There was times where he was almost walking away, and then because he's because he's trying to take a breather and he's in a vulnerable position, Usyk's just pr- pressing him now, and he's letting his hands go and he's he's landing shots and they're having an effect. So um, that would be you know a way for Jazora <laughs> definitely to make make you know make that improvement would be to have that danger element to him when he's taking a breather, being active, even if it's just masked behind a bit of head movement, a bit of posturing, a bit of feints, and definitely getting his jab going. But, um, yeah, I've sort of gone off point as always, but, um, but good good performance from Usyk, very, very good performance from Usyk. Um, I agree. I mean, I think uh, he, wins a, he wins a vacant belt next year. I can't see how um, the, the Joshua fight m- makes sense commercially for Joshua. Um, but I think he's going to see um, settle into the division. I think there won't be many out there to beat him. They're talking about, um, uh, I, th- I believe Frank Warren's column in the Daily Star on Saturday was about trying to make the winner of Dubois against Joyce for that vacant belt was it were it to be vacated. Uh, and for me, don't care who wins that, they ain't beating Usyk. I don't think. Um, so, yeah. Well, I, mean, I I'd think. Like to see it. But you know, I, I I'd rather see the winner of that one fight Chisora, to be honest, and then and then look for someone like Usyk. But um, I don't see how either of them beat Usyk at the moment. If I'm if I'm Usyk's team, Usyk's corner, 
uh, I agree I'm making the favourite, but they're probably the two heavyweights out there to necessarily not be in a rush to fight because Dubois just have like he's such he's such an explosive, powerful fighter and he only takes one shot in the heavyweight division. Um as cliche as that sounds. And then having someone like Joyce Joyce who does um can just march forward, not necessarily the best to look at, but if you don't have the punch power to slow him down or keep him off, um he might end up being a hard night's work when you want someone to settle into a pace like Usyk does. Um I think he could end up having a, a tougher night's work against um, a Joe Joyce and an easier night's work against, say, a Dillian White. Um, it's one of them. It's just, it's that, it's that, it's that super, that, that super cruiserweight division. Who knows? Get it started. <laughs> <laughs> so the situation is at the moment, Anthony Joshua at the moment must fight Alexander Usyk or give up his WBO title unless Usyk says I'll wait and let you and let him fight Tyson Fury but then yeah but then even then there's no real point because as long as Fury Joshua 1 is close enough or you know goes a, goes a few rounds and ends the stoppage they'll do it again so Usyk waits until 2022 before he'd fight either of them or the WBO come and say Joshua Fury do your thing and then we'll deal with it after if you're Alexander Usyk, George, do you is there any consideration to wait and see what happens, or are you absolutely adamant that your next fight will be for the WBO world title? Yeah, no, if I'm him, I'd be adamant to fight for the WBO world title. As you say, you never know what's around the corner and what delays could could take place. Um, you want to become a full world champion, and then you just know that that, that them fights are there for you, and you're in your you know if you've got to wait two years, you're having tick over fights as a world champion. Um, with the status of it and, you know, the prestige and probably the, the money to go with it as well. Um, I think he backs himself. I genuinely think he backs himself. Um, I think if, if they made Joshua versus Usyk, you know, tomorrow and that's that's the next fight for, for Joshua, I think Usyk wouldn't, definitely wouldn't shy away from it. He would, would back himself against uh, uh, Joshua. And in many ways... Um, Wants to pick that fight, you know, um, but I, I, I think um, you know it's, fights are going to start um, stacking up in heavyweight division, and then the WBO will put it out, and it it might be a Dubois, you know, if Dubois comes through Joyce, it might be Usyk Dubois. Um, I think, yeah, I think, I think, I think both fighters would would certainly be up for that. I don't, I can't see how um, Dubois would want to. Um, delay or you know step away from that sort of fight. So um, I, I, I see it, I see it going vacant, and then um, used to going for a vacant belt. I, I don't think that if that fight with Fury, if there's no WBO belt on the line, I don't think it makes a single pound's worth of difference commercially. It makes exact same money whether they got it on the line or not. And the fact is, they risk that colossal payday, even if it's just on pay per view and there's no gate. They risk that if he fights Usyk, it could go down the pan and could be gone forever then because you don't know what then happens with Fury and what happens next. So I see him vacating it. As much as Joshua would back himself to win, and I'm sure his team would, 
I don't think people like Eddie Hearn and stuff would necessarily do that. And it doesn't make any business sense for him to fight Usyk and instead of Fury. So if the Fury fight looks like it is going to happen next for him after Pulev, he's, surely he's going to drop it. Surely he's going to drop it and fight Fury for all the belts minus one and then go from there. The amount of money, especially these days, because you just don't know what's going to happen, do you? Um, and and Usyk, and it's been it's brilliant manoeuvring from Usyk to get himself in this position already as a heavyweight, where he's going to be fighting. You know, he's, he's done it. It's done the perfect route, and he's going to end up fighting for a vacant belt. And then he's going to hold on to it and get, make some serious money. Well, that no, is a WBO. Sorry, sorry, Mike. It's a WBO rule, yeah. That if you're world champion, you move up. Yeah, you automatically in line. You might have to fight for a mandatory position, but you, you're you're straight in at a mandatory position. So, um, yeah, definitely a clever move if you want a, a quick quick ride into the heavyweight. You know, um, yeah. Yeah, he's, de- he's definitely, it's worked out well for him, to be fair, you know, last year. I mean, I guess he would rather have fought earlier this year, but as it's worked out, pretty perfect. Do you, do you think Frank Warren does put Dubois in? A, I mean, listen, we shouldn't, definitely, absolutely should not count George Joyce out of, out of that fight. But, you know, if Dubois comes through, does Frank Warren put him in? He's golden goose. I sort of feel like he does. And I feel like Frank is got to the point where he's got no massive interest now in hanging around with people. I think he was getting to that point anyway, and the, and the pandemic and everything has changed all that and, and made that even more an obvious thing to do now. What's the point of hanging around? They did it too long with Billy Joe Saunders, and in the end, Saunders has left him, albeit mutually and whatever, but now he's gone his way, and he never had that massive fight with, with Saunders. They, they won the world title, and they had some good nights and stuff, but they never had the one that maybe an undefeated middleweight world champion like Billy Joe Saunders deserved or would think someone in his position would have and it never happened so I feel like if he wins he he, he, he does I don't know why he would bang the drum for it now um, I feel like there's only at heavyweight there's only so much sort of learning you can do if you know what I mean and I think he's done a lot of it already okay he's still very inexperienced and certainly very young in heavyweight terms but you know if he goes and beats Joe Joyce does a number on him I don't think they'll be looking at, looking at Usyk and thinking, no, we, we shouldn't do that. And also, even if he loses to Usyk, it's not the end of the world. Um, yeah, I feel like they would. And certainly, if Joyce wins, it's an absolute no-brainer for them because he's not getting any younger and he's already boxed him. You know, he knows what he's about and he definitely fancies chances, like George said. It looks like if you can put Usyk under pressure for a long, long time and he doesn't hurt you, you've got a good chance. Um, Chisora just couldn't keep the pressure on long enough, but someone like Joyce maybe could. But oh, it's great! It's great, isn't it? Because it, it it looked like it was just Joshua Fury Wilder, but now actually it's all opening up in other ways as well. And this um, it's good to see because we haven't seen the, the massive fights we want just yet outside of Wilder and Fury. Definitely a big twenty twenty one for Usyk. As for Chisora, I think I mean from what he said, he certainly intends to carry on. Is his I mean, again, we, we talk about the WBO belt, but it's quite possible that over the next sort of 12 to 18 months, all the belts in the heavyweight division sort of become a bit fragmented. We, you know, anything can happen. So maybe Chisora can then pick his way to a world title shot. I don't know. But would a better option, George, maybe just to, for the last part of his career, pick, get back into those fan-friendly fights without fans at the moment. But, you know, fights where he's a bit more comfortable. Well, yeah, I mean, um, 
he can box on for as long as he wants, you know. Uh, I've got to try and say it without sounding bitter as not a heavyweight, you know. Derek Chisora, he's in double digits for losses now. Um, but everyone's going to be excited about his next fight because they're heavyweights, you know. Um, no doubt he'll maybe drop down. He would have to drop down a level from Usyk. But even if he's in with someone unheard of, you know, he'll go in as a chief support on a pay-per-view card or something along those lines. And everyone will be excited and it'll be, he's still got that value. It'll be around selling point. And if he's still working with the likes of David Hay in that, you know, there's that added value added there. So, um, <clears throat> I think he's a clever guy, uh, Chisora, and I feel like on reflection, um, he'll probably look at the Usyk fight and think, you know, I, I doubt he'll, you know, stamp his flag in the ground and state that he did win that, like he said immediately after. Because it's hard as the fighter, if your corner in particular telling you you've won the fight and then a couple of your pals ringside are adamant that you've won the fight, then you might feel a bit hard done by. But um, he just, I think he just likes being in the gym at the moment. He's enjoying training. He's getting, must be getting really good money. Uh, probably more money now than he was when he was coming through. Um, and fighting for world titles. He has no real desire to fight for a world title, I don't think. You know, he sort of pushed himself out of that situation. Um, before, in the build-up to this fight, I saw him talking about wanting to obviously win and then fight Tyson Fury because uh, he's only his third fight. And it's like, them two have boxed twice already. It just shows you how mental like this sport can be. If you ask even, not serious boxing fans, but boxing fans, Tell us about the you know the Chisora Fury fights. I did I didn't even know they did box. When was that? They can't. They wouldn't be able to name the year. Wouldn't have name what the titles were on the line and how the fight went, because they just went under the radar. And it just shows you how times have changed now. Both them fighters are huge names now. Um, Fury in particular. So um, I think as a heavyweight, uh, there's there's plenty of fights out there for him. Um, he took a few heavy shots, you know, but um, I think conditioning-wise, he's still in pretty good nick, you know. And um, at 36, 37, he's definitely got a few more fights left in him if he wants it and he has the desire to do it. But, um, yeah, the, the value's there, isn't it? He's a heavyweight, the value's there. There's plenty of fights out there that, you know, you could pitch him in against and um, people are going to want him as a scalp. Even though he's got a lot of losses, people are going to want him as a scalp. Um, and good for him. You know, good for him. Hope he um, he'll carry on as long as he wants to and, and has the desire to and can earn good money out of it. Yeah, I mean, Chisora Fury would be one of the strangest trilogies of all time. I, I can't see. If you think about the names that we're seeing linked to Fury, um, yeah. actually, Chisora is not the maddest one. You know, that is more in uh, sellable than half the other people on it, like Ajit Kabayel, you know, for, for, for the everyday casual boxing fan, for instance. So you can sort of see what, they, what he's talking about. And it's the sort of one that Fury would be like, yes, please, because he, you know, he knows he's going to have no problem with him. He's absolutely got his number. Um, so, yeah, I said gatekeeper earlier was harsh, but he is sort of that elite, elite gatekeeper. He's like, if you beat him, you can then go into the next bit. Um, but he's lost to people like Pulev. He's obviously lost twice to Dillian White, um, Alexander Usyk. You know, so he hasn't ever been able to get a win against the like a, 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 a top level heavyweight. But he beat Carlos Sakam, knocked out Shvilka. You know, so he's 
he's there, but he's not quite there. And that, but that area can make a lot of money. It can make a lot of money still. And I think that's what, like George said, he's very, very intelligent, very smart. He's seen it all. The worst side of boxing, the good side. He's, you know, he's hated it. He's fallen out of love with it. He's loved it again. I think he's, I think he's in a good spot um, still, even at his age. And there was never any mention either that it was make or break. And if you lose, you've got to retire in this fight. It was never that. And it won't be like that for him for a long time, I don't think. I think he, I think he plows on and carries on. And he's, yeah, he's always going to be an entertaining fight. A pay-per-view sure. main event, pay-per-view, without ever winning a heavyweight world title, without winning a world title. Um, you know, on for boxing fans, they'll, you know, Usyk, it's Usyk versus Chisora. Usyk's the A-side of the card. But he's not. He's not. It's it's Chisora because it's in Britain. It's on British pay-per-view. Um, and it's not for a world title. It doesn't matter what it's for because it's, it's pay-per-view. So Chisora, he's sort of kind of a side of a pay-per-view card he's making good money you know he's getting more than than most in this particular time um and there's you know, there's plenty of heavyweights out there that are exactly the same so um that's good that's the scary thing is it'd be difficult to walk away from from those sort of situations but at the same time um as long as he's uh feeling good and um he's got the right people around him to look after him if he ever just starts to not put it in anymore in the gym or whatnot. He has he has just a dip dip off in performance. They can, they can say right, you know, Derek, this is the time. But other than that, um, you know, he as you say, he'll be a, he's a fantastic um, opponent. Which is again, it's not the right expression for someone like Chisora because he's better than an opponent. But he is because he's been around for so long. His big name is charismatic. He's cool. He's interesting for fans. Fan friendly, people want to people want to fight him because they want to be part of it. I skipped over these after we were talking about Usyk, but let me just run through Betfair's odds on his future fights. So they have Usyk as the favourite against Anthony Joshua and Tyson Fury, two to one on and four to eleven respectively. Whoa, 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 whoa! You say he's the oh, favourite to beat Tyson Fury? No, sorry, sorry, sorry. I was going to say then I was about to get my wallet out. <laughs> okay, Anthony Joshua and Tyson Fury are the one to two and four to eleven favourites, respectively, to beat Alexander Usyk. Usyk is then the favourite against Deontay Wilder, Daniel Dubois, and Joe Choice. I guess you disagree with Anthony Joshua, but otherwise, yeah, I think it's an intriguing fight, the Joshua one, because it'd be interesting to see what he does. Because obviously, he boxed in the Ruiz rematch for a reason. But you would expect him to go in there and try and knock someone like Usyk out, just try and pin him down and just get to him and like early on a bit like what Chisora did and hope to have um, more success. And he does finish really well. Look what he did against Povetkin, for instance. You know, if he got Usyk going, he would see him off, I'm sure. Um, but then when you do that, you you become the bull, don't you? And he's a he's a good old matador, is Usyk. He might just try and pick him off and box him and make him look stupid at times. But can he do it for 12 rounds against Joshua? Um, that's a that's a real intriguing one. I don't find Usyk Fury. I can't see that being a particularly entertaining fight, to be honest. I just see Fury just boxing and keeping it long, maybe putting his foot down a little bit late on, or when, you know when he gets the opportunities. But that Joshua fight is a real is a real hard one to call for me. I would I would if I would put money on it, especially if he's the underdog. There'd be good value in an Usyk win. But yeah, I think I would love that fight. Yeah. I would agree. 
uh, I guess that's in, in terms of Fury, George, that's where it plays into the to your description of pound for pound. But pound for pound, you imagine everybody's the same weight, and then if they all box, then who would win? But yeah, it's I mean, almost, you know, yeah, like similar, similar weight, similar size. You know, I think um, Usyk's style um, for his size, um, he will struggle a touch in the heavyweight division because he needs the guys in front of him to settle. Um, and then acclimatise to his timing. Um, but he likes guys to punch at him. And sometimes in heavyweight division, that doesn't happen. Um, to get off his good work, he's he's not a strict, you know, aggressive counter-puncher, but his weight is on the, on the front foot a lot of the time. He likes to slip and take angles, um, countering off, off the guy's shots in front of him. And then... If you put him in with someone like Tyson Fury, I just don't see how Tyson Fury will let him get into a fight in that way. Because Tyson's so big, he's got um, you know he's got high repertoire of shots. He has different you know he can change um, stances at times, and lot even the even when he doesn't quite get the fundamentals right, and he you know he makes really naive errors at times because he's so big, he he's always going to get away with it especially against guys in the heavyweight division who he's much quicker than. So even if they've got the size, they don't have the, the speed to match. Um, so I, I can't see how Usyk's style can be particularly effective with someone like Tyson Fury because you're not going to be able to gravitate and move around the ring, wait for the guy to walk into range and then make him miss and, and hit on him because you know Fury could easily just keep it at double distance and just and, and land the long shots and not let Usyk into range. Can can Joshua do that? You know, um, Joshua's a totally different type of fighter, you know, much, much more uh, mu- uh, muscular and um, a ferocious puncher, like a huge heavy hitting puncher, but likes to box that sort of typical textbook, neat and tidy, hands high, upright, um, you know, Technique where someone like Usyk might be able to to pull that apart um, to uh, encourage Joshua to punch when he doesn't want to be punch when he doesn't want to punch, and then to take angles and punch off it. Um, all these guys hit hard enough to to hurt each other. Um, you know, I know Tyson Fury got off the floor against Deontay Wilder, but you know he's been down numerous times in his career. Joshua, we know, has been hurt. Um, if you go back to the fight with Joshua against um, not Pulev, the Russian, um, I forgot his name right now. Um, Povetkin. Yeah, Povetkin, sorry. So you go back to the fight where Joshua Povetkin, where he's punching down at someone, but Povetkin's got that, that amateur pedigree where he can create the angles and punch off it. You know, once Joshua landed, the, the, the fight was over. He's just such a, a monster puncher, big guy. But um, Povetkin did cause him the odd problems to, that he had to deal with and overcome. And I think Usyk is a sharper, faster, fresher version of Povetkin. You know, you know, he's been he's only thirty three. Povetkin, you know, he's older. Um, been through the mill, been stopped um, by Klitschko at that point. So I think um, I think it's, 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 it's a very interesting fight. Usyk versus versus Joshua. Um, if I had a lot of money on it, um, I'd probably have my heart in my mouth at, at times because I probably would put my money on on Usyk. But knowing that one one mistake, it could be 
game over and he does take shots. It does take a few rounds to get settled. Um, even against Chisora, to be fair, he I thought he was took it, taking too many shots in the first round. Uh, and looked uncomfortable, was complaining to the ref about a couple of low blows that looked like they were on the belt. Um, and is he ready for the for the rough and ready um, type of fights that he might be facing in the heavyweight division against big guys? And if Joshua gets his tactics right, presses and don't get hit, and then imposes his size, and it's only going to take one or two shots to go through the target and um, have an effect, and it might just totally change the fight in his hands. So... Um, be a tough one, tough one to call. Definitely a tough one to call, but um, I'd probably, I'd probably favour Usyk in that in that fight. I'd probably, uh, probably get a lot of stick for it, but you know that'd be that. Well, hopefully, the stars will align in the in the months and years to come for that one. I do want to just mention Savannah Marshall's performance. Arguably, I'd say that one of the, be- the best performance of the night in stopping Hanarek in the seventh round. It's been, you know, enough, a, a tricky year for Savannah. Of course, initially, I think, supposed to fight for a world title at light heavyweight up in Newcastle back in the start of the year. This one down at middleweight, obviously a different opponent behind closed doors. But certainly, Dick, I was impressed. I assume you were impressed. Punch yeah, perfect. of her career by some stretch, but and against the best opponent that she's faced in her career. Um been frustrating watching her a bit because there there is just such a dearth of good opponents in women's boxing, especially up higher up the weights. Um, and then you can struggle to look good because you never have you, you you cruise a bit and you coast a bit, and even in your training camps, you know that you haven't really got to get out of second gear to win your fight on the you know on the weekend or whatever. This one's a little bit different, and Hannah Rankin came with desire and there was obviously a world title on the line. And as it happened, as we would have expected, that brought the best out of Savannah Marshall. And it was a great performance. She moves like Huey Fury, doesn't he? It's clear that she's in that camp with Peter. Um, she, you know, angles, elusive, slick, can punch. You don't see many stoppages in women's boxing just because of the, the length of the round. And now that fight with um, Clarissa Shields is massive. Um, still the only person ever to beat Shields a long time ago. Both done a lot of growing, a lot of improving. Um, and they've got a common opponent now in ranking. Um, it's what women's boxing needs, and it's great for British w- British women's boxing because Nicola Adams retired and people like that. And um, you know, it's good to have someone like her, the amateur world champion, now world champion in professional ranks, now someone who would have um, a selling point in that fight with Shields, if nothing else. It sounds a bit disrespectful, but you know, that's an easy one to sell. Marketable women's boxing is what we need, and um, yeah. Great, that it's it's a it's a wonderful fight with Shields. Um, you know, American and a Brit, world titles on the line. Happy days. Um, yeah, great night for her. And Hannah Rankin was was good as well, but it was just just not good enough for to 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 keep her off. I mean, women's boxing, obviously, if you want to say benefited possibly from these last few months, definitely come to the fore more than we might have expected had we not had the situation. Well, and of course. Up. Yeah, yeah, of course. And I, I think everyone should just accept that. But it's, as Eddie Hearns, if he gets in at the ground level as he has, then it's, it's much easier to build and much cheaper. And of course, in a couple of weeks, uh, there is a, a, a car dominated by women, not all women, but with Katie Taylor, Terry Harper, etc. But you're right about that lack of a rivalry. And because, these, because it is cheaper to have women's boxing and, and the fight should be easier to make, 
it would really be a mistake, George, if we don't see Marshall and Shields, whether it's soon or whether it's maybe you know when they do need, do need fans, I don't know, but it's a, it'd be a missed opportunity. Yeah, definitely, it'd be a great fight. You know, they they do come few and far between. Uh, you know, at the moment, it's still a growing sport, female boxing. Um, I mean, interesting fact. I don't know. Is it? Is it? Have we got more female world champions at the moment than we have male world champions? Try to have a little count up, because, and even then, this is just me being miserable. It's like, that's not like you. Well, yeah, we don't want. You know, you don't want to. Ta- world champion is is a, is a special thing. You know, a special thing. But we, you know, you you kind of want to earn the right to to, to have one. And then the more world champions you get, the sort of the less significant it will feel. So um, we just need more women's boxing to sort of dilute that out a little bit, which is great because um, you know the women women are definitely prepared to fight each other. You know, which can't always be said for some some of the you know top names out there in, in, the, in the men's division. Um, maybe because they, obviously they have to because of the, the you know the depth of competition that they have. But um, yeah, I was having to think about all the all the world champions. Cameron won the world title recently. Harper's still world champion. Taylor's not. Um, Katie Taylor's not British, but you know we try and adopt her from time to time. You know, we're trying to find our Irish roots. Um, you know, she, she's a, she's definitely a huge name. Great. Um, yeah, we'll be boxing for for one for a vacant one against Ebony Bridges on that undercard. I believe that's for a world title. You're right though, George. It is a bit. Although it sounds great, actually, when you scratch the surface a bit, it's a bit kind of. Well, I mean, like rank rankings uh, record. I think was she was she nine and four, eleven and four, might even have been less than that, you know. So you know, then it's not a world championship record as such, you know. Um, you can have loss on your record, but just because they're only a handful of fights, less than a dozen fights or whatnot. Um, and the same with Savannah Marshall, you know, she's only had a handful of fights as such, and they're you know, but they're in there. They've got to do it. This is this is what's going to happen until. We have the depth in the in the women's um, divisions. Um, concentrate on the fights, really. I think you know it's obviously it's great to have have world champions, but it's going to be the fights that take you through, um, and you, you just don't want it to suffer from. You know, it, it ends up being in a situation where you have got men's multiple world champions who, you know, in the same division that hold practically the same belt, um, which is. A bit bizarre, but great, great, great performance. Like, Marshall, I think. You're right, though, because when you talk about a world champion, you're talking about the, the number one in the division in that weight class. And actually, to establish yourself as that as a woman is far easier or less complicated than that is in the men's just because of the level of talent. It's a bit like, you know, in the amateurs when you might get, you might box once. You might just only have to box in the final to win Southern counties to you know to to win the junior championships at your weight or the you know the development champs, but just because there's not that many boxers at your weight class and you're still the national champ, but you know in another weight class you might have had to box six times to get there, but actually you've only had to box twice. For instance, it's a bit like Savannah Marshall. She could clearly say, "I'm the best in the division, uh, therefore I am world champion." But just look at what a man, a male boxer, would have to have done to get to that level. Um, I don't think anyone's trying to lie about that, but the fact is they're so easy to just get a world title on the belt because, uh, on the line because I guess the sanctioning bodies are like, sweet, yeah, just give us some sanctioning fee, we'll take it for anything. You know, yeah, that sounds good enough to me. 
And that's not to take away from Solana Marshall, because for me, she is arguably number one in the division, therefore world champion. But I'm with you on that, George. It's just a little bit, maybe we just need to forget that just for a bit and just enjoy the quality of fights. Because to be honest, they've been incredible since, you know, since boxing has come back. Indeed, a good way to end on that one. And just finally on this card, Lee Selby dropped a decision to George Cambosas, which was a final eliminator for the IBF lightweight title now held by Teofimo Lopez. I would be very surprised if Lopez takes that fight. Um, Cambosas, of course, says he wants it, wants to do it in Australia next year with fans. But I'm not sure there's much in it for Lopez unless he's short of options, which would then leave... Cambosis free to fight for the vacant title. But in terms of Lee Selby, I would argue since Josh Warrington beat him, he hasn't looked particularly brilliant. And it's very difficult now to see where he goes from there. Mm. He's up at, up at lightweight now. Um, and you, everyone knew it was such a struggle for him to make um, featherweight. And then any sort of dips in his performance on fight night, you'd always equate to, you know, the starvation probably that he went through and, and the the effort that he had to put on his body to, to make the weight and then, you know, fading. He, he was he was susceptible at times to not being able to sustain what he start with to, to carry it on throughout right the way through to the championship rounds. Moving out to lightweight, you thought that, that would be being able to, to correct that, but I feel like it's still part of his performance where... It's just his style of fighting. It's hard to sustain and, and you know, maintain it at the, the top end for the entire fight. And um, he doesn't have uh, enough enough punch power, really, to sort of um, keep, keep keep the guys in front of him honest in the lightweight, lightweight um, setup. And it's a great division with loads of huge, uh, huge big fights out there for him. But I think he's ranked, he's ranked number one now, still with the WBO. Um, well, no, he probably would have dropped down now, actually, obviously, after the weekend. But before the weekend, he's ranked with the WBO. He, um, he's been a great, he's a great fighter, a great servant for British boxing. I'm not sure what his plans are now, whether, you know, losing at this stage, whether he feels, how he feels about it, or whether he's still in love with boxing and this is what he wants to do. Um, obviously, there's fights out there with, you know, if Cam- Campbell comes through Garcia next weekend and, you know, the world title ain't going to happen for him straight away, that's a great domestic domestic fight. Um, but then some of the other guys in the division, when you look at, you know, Gavin Haney, uh, Devin Haney, sorry, uh, Lomachenko, um, Javante Davis, if he's up at lightweight, you know, they're, they're tough fights, they're hard fights. Um I'm not sure what, 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 what he'll be up for, whether he's just enjoying his boxing still and just take over and see what when the phone rings, what's available. Heck, I mean, it's not really for, for us to non-boxers to to say you should do this, that, or the next thing. But if you're if you're Lee Selby, I think I see him carrying on in boxing. His life, he's, him and his brother, you know, lifetime in boxing, um, lives and breathes it. I was speaking to Jamie Cox this week about, and he trains with Tony Borg in that camp, and he just says he's the most consummate professional he's ever seen. And Jamie's seen a lot of them. Um, I don't think, I don't see him walking away from the sport after this. Um, like George said, at lightweight, there's all sorts of fights for him still, um, even just domestically. So I think we'll see him back. Um, he hasn't looked great, I agree, for a few years, to be honest. He hasn't really excited or looked at his best 
Um, like, it's a horrible thing to say, but it just felt like Tambosa just came. He was so up for it when he was so, he was like a ball of energy. And Lisa was just not like that. Um, and you can come unstuck because of that. Um, he, was, he boxed well, but I just felt like he was just, he was just shipping too many shots, big left hooks and stuff like that. Um, I think he can hold his own lightweight, just maybe not at the top, the upper echelons of the division. It's going to be hard to get near a world title because of all this, all sorts of going on. But I think we'll see him back. Um, I don't think that's the end of him. Um, it wasn't like he was beaten badly, but, you know, he was beaten handily. Um, I'm sure there's still stuff out there for him. He's got a lot going on at home. You know, he, he, he's, he breeds dogs and ferrets and all sorts of quails and whatnot. So, he's you know... He goes away from boxing, does other things, but he lives and breathes it. He's in the gym all the time, and yeah, I feel like I feel like we'll see him back. It's, it's, it's interesting to see what what changes he can make now, what how he might develop from now. Because can he? What can he change? What can he do differently? Um, but yeah, like George said, massive, great servant to British boxing, former world champion. Um, he, you know, he could walk away now, but I don't see him doing it. Actually, I saw a post, George, from. Shane McGuigan over the weekend, I think someone asked, he did a Q&A and someone asked him, who do you, which fighter do you wish you'd worked for with earlier? And he, and he said yourself, Lee Selby, is, is there a point where you, you missed the chance to maybe, I mean, you obviously you had success in McGuigan, so I'm not comparing it directly, but has Selby maybe missed the chance to move trainers, move camp, make a change in his career, or has he still got that sort of chance to do it now? Yeah, I'm not... I'm not, I, I don't know, you know, he's, um, sometimes it can be a, a big change, uh, an, an upheaval, you know, you know, if you're going to all of a sudden do like a, like a Leon Williams, I think, you know, he was based in, um, in probably near his home, um, training with, um, Gary Lockett, I think it was at the start of someone, you know, in Wales and now he's, you know, he's up at the Ingle gym with, um, the guys up in Sheffield. So, you know, that's a massive lifestyle change. You know, if you've got a wife and kids at home, if you've got a bunch of dogs and ferrets that you don't want to leave behind. And, you know, the, you know, the dream is to be like, you know, I was talking to, to Andy Lee uh, recently who, you know, you know, he went to the Olympics. Um, you know, Manuel Stewart got in touch with him, up sticks, moved to um, Detroit. He was there, he spent time in New York and then he was back in London when he, when he left and... Um, Manuel got ill, so he was training with Adam Booth, and you know he's, he he travelled around, but he's put his life um, on hold for that in many many ways, um, and that's tough for a lot of fighters, you know, especially when you've been a world champion and you're at this stage of your career, um, you get you get comfortable, um, but but fighters do 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 make changes, do move on. Um, I wouldn't necessarily see it as the necessary thing that, that Selby needs to do, you know, um, he, you know, he, he's got a very particular style that was very effective for him for a huge part of his career. So it will be difficult now for him to make huge changes. He will no doubt want to make slight changes. You always want to change and adapt and improve, but, um, I don't think so personally took a long way to say that, but yeah, I, I don't think he'll, um, He'll think about um, a change up now. Um, I think, uh, as Dex says, if, if he if he loves boxing, then he'll just keep himself fit. Um, he hasn't got stress out about weight jumping up now. There's, you know, I'm sure he does put on a few weight, a few pounds, and does have to take him off between fights. But he'd be in and out of the gym, keep you know, keeping sane, and waiting for the phone to ring.
that is all for this part, part one, you could call it. Next up, we'll take a look at the super featherweight slash lightweight divisions. Very complicated. Lots going on after Javonta Davis win over Leo Santa Cruz. So later on, on Saturday night, Javonta Davies continued to impress with a sixth round stoppage of Leo Santa Cruz. The fight was at super featherweight. There was a super featherweight and a lightweight belt on the line. There were also fans, almost 10,000 in Texas, all masked up, but nevertheless, good to see fans slowly returning, at least on the other side of the Atlantic. So first of all, on the performance deck, you saw that the fight ended with the uppercut. He was, using, he was going for that uppercut all fight really landing with various levels of success, but absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> if you like ending. Yeah, it's quality, isn't it? Um, you, like you say, he's looking for that uppercut. And to be honest, you would, wouldn't you, with a pressure fight, a volume puncher like Santa Cruz, especially one who's smaller and lighter than you, you just absolutely... I think he landed one in the first round. Um, he obviously knew that was going to be the key. And when it came, it was devastating. Um, Javonta Davis is such a talent. I said last week, he should be an absolute superstar. He shouldn't be in fights where everyone knows what's going to happen before. We all knew what was going to happen to Santa Cruz based on size. The worrying thing, I know we'll get onto it, I'm jumping the gun a little bit. The worrying thing is Floyd Mayweather is already saying he should be the A-side in the Teofimo Lopez fight. So we're already, you know, you just see hurdles and hurdles and hurdles in the fights we actually want to see. But as far as that fight went, it was reasonably even, but um, uh, I had Davis just ahead um, going, going to the sixth round when it got stopped. Or, you know, not stopped, but when he closed the show. Um, such a sensational fighter, so exciting to watch. A little human wrecking ball, southpaw. Um, yeah. Also, it was on Channel 5, which is another uh, big shout for us. Um, and fans, yeah. I mean, now it's just about what the next stage is for Davis because we could quite, ha quite easily see him not boxing now for a year and then come back against another super bantamweight or something. You know, it's just... It's hard to get too excited because I've been here before with him and, uh, and it doesn't it lets you down. It's a bit like following um, the England football team. You wouldn't know about that, Martin, but, you know. Thankfully not. So, <laughs> let me put you on the spot. Which was better, his uppercut against Santa Cruz or Povetkin's against White? Uh, probably Povetkin's against White. Um, just because, you know, been down twice before in the, you know, twice in the round before. And then... Um, Technically, both exceptional. Povetkin's was, um, you know, he dips, he dips left and left it to the body. Dips left, left it to the body. This time, dip left. I bring up through the middle. It's not rocket science, but it kind of is in the heavyweight division. So you know, you don't get, you don't really get them well-schooled um, Olympians. You know, get him to the very top in the amateur division. But Javante uh, Davis, um, great, what a shot. What a shot. And I wrote down the same thing, um, kind of deck that from the get-go, he's um, he wants to... So when you've got Southpaw versus Orthodox, you want to impose, like, you're almost like your you're positioning within the ring. But it's, it's like, it's kind of like, it could, it's part footwork, part just the posturing. And I used to watch and study um, Luke Campbell, who used to throw this bolo shot from the Southpaw position, and it's such an incredible shot. And then I used to love it. I used to do it throughout my career talking about myself too much here but you it's just it's it's a it's a free shot and um davis is that, is that with your right hand 
So I'll be right handed. It's a backhand. It's a backhand. Especially if you're fighting a southpaw. So I thought Jamie Cox, um, first defensive world title, stopped him with the same sort of shot. Um, And it's lovely when you've got that that mirror that mirror um, stance when you you know you got orthodox versus southpaw, um, and that's you know who's going to win that sort of game because when you're throwing that bolo shot, you've got so much target. You know, when you're both orthodox or you're both um, southpaw, then yeah, you you haven't got the entire um, peripheral of the, of the, of the you know, torso in front of you to hit. And Davis was getting it off from the first round. And he's so neat and compact and punches to- so technically sound. He's got his fundamentals are awesome. His balance must be brilliant. Um, he generates so much power from his core and a stable base. Um, I wouldn't say that I thought this was how it was going to end. You know, I didn't think you. I wasn't convinced this was going to be a foregone conclusion that he would. He was going to land this shot and put him away like that. Santa Cruz is an excellent fighter, brilliant, brilliant fighter. And even though we're talking about the lightweights, you know, um, they both made the feather, uh, the super featherweight limit. You know, so that was what the fight was. It wasn't even a lightweight fight. Um, but yeah, uh, brilliant finish, great shot, um, great fight, two great fighters. Um, but technically, um, an awesome fighter, Javante Davis. He's someone who, you know, if he was a coach and you had young kids in the gym, you'd put his tape on and then analytically break down his technique because um, it just looks looks old school. Looks like other than that, you got to get out fighters from the fifties and black and white and try and find Joe Louis who can throw a hook from nothing can knock out a horse, you know, people like that. Um, technically a very, very good fighter, great performance. Because obviously you mentioned the future and whether or not we will see the fights, but if you just look, a brief look at the odds with Betfair for these potential matchups just encapsulates how competitive these divisions, let's just assume, let's call it lightweight for now, would be. So, where Javante Davis to fight Teofimo Lopez, it's basically a pick him with the odds. The same with Devin Haney. Uh, Lomachenko actually favoured to beat Javante Davis slightly. Again, not much in it. So in terms of the, the title picture, we don't know what Lopez is going to do yet. Devin Haney takes on Jokas Gamboa next weekend, which we'll touch on briefly. What would be... Okay, let's just imagine you are a matchmaker with all the powers, and not even Floyd Mayweather can tell you what to do. What fight day would you want to see Davis in next? Personally, I've always wanted to see him against Lomachenko because both of them, not really lightweights, both of them, well, Davis, you know, made super feather this time. Like when they were both campaigning down there, a little bit more feather, super feather, uh, and stylistically, I'd love to see it. Two southpaws don't always gel, but I think these one would. Uh, Lopez Davis has emerged as the big one. Um, but again, I'm not sure that uh, Lopez hangs around at lightweight to make it. And I would just find the Lomachenko fight so intriguing, even off the back of a defeat and everything else. I'd love to see that. Um, I was always big on Lomachenko in that fight, but I think he's Davis is far cleverer than he's often given credit for. And when he was coming up, he was just walking through people. So he, he never got to see the nuance of it. But that's what I'd love to see, um, whether or not we see it. Um, they spoke about it a lot. Mayweather's played it down a lot. Um, 
but yeah, if I if I had the power, that's the one I'd want to see. And I I could see it for a vacant belt if if Lopez was to was to walk away, for instance, or, or move up rather, I should say. Do you think having? I mean, I know Mayweather is you know an all-time great, a legend of the sport, George. But do you think there is any aspect of having him of it being a disadvantage having him in Davis's corner in terms of the management side of it? Um, as a as a fight fan, definitely because um, he might prevent you know the fights we want to see. Um, you say Davis, who, who would you want to see him in against next? No, I would, I'd love to see him in against uh, Lopez, Lomachenko, Haney. Any of them would be a, probably a, a brilliant fight. Um, even if, you know, I don't, I, I don't think it's, it would be um, as competitive. But even in against like a Gamboa or someone like that, who's just technically just like a, a, a brilliant fighter. So um, Mayweather, he's, he's, he's an exceptional. He was an exceptional fighter, but an exceptional businessman in terms of the, you know the way that he had his career navigated um reinvented a genre of boxing you know that people weren't necessarily accustomed to where um we're going to pay top dollar to watch an, an exhibition of of skill and even when you think he can get rid of this guy he'll just play it safe and go through the rounds and i don't think you're going to get that out of javante davis but that element of protection that every fighter needs um but can prevent the big fights from happening maybe mayweather might might be that guy who puts too much value on his fighter and priced him out of big fights um i don't know you know um in many ways it's fantastic to have someone like floyd mayweather talking about you you know you're gonna it's only gonna add value to a certain degree but as long as it doesn't get in the way of progressing your career and and being involved in the big fights because at the end um to have your legacy you you've got to be in the bigger names and won the belts to you know to look back on so i don't know i don't know but i think um i agree with you deck i think i think the lomachenko fight would be great uh for davis you know i think a lomachenko favorite I, I don't think i think it's another fight like lopez you know um Lomachenko does tend to go into his shell a little bit, and when he when when he's in with a big puncher, who might might land something on him, and therefore lose rounds. You know, um, and you say like uh, if Lomachenko uh, if Lomachenko fights Lopez, in in one way you think, oh, Lopez he's got to stop him to win. But when you think about it with hindsight, you're like, no, nah, if he just has enough of an effect throughout the round. Lomachenko's such a skillful, clever fighter. He's not going to let himself get knocked out. He might go into his shell, but just not pick up the rounds and lose the rounds and end up losing on points. It might be the same in a, a Javante Davis fight where Davis technically very good, but punches much harder than Lomachenko. So, but yeah, Haney as well, you know, he's, he's had a, you know, a meteoric rise um, to the top. Still haven't got his age down, but he's still got to be um early 20s at most um coming up to the top of his game that'll be that'll be a, a brilliant fight um wbc world champion but you know you come to that debate later um i think i think lopez is, is the wbc world champion and he needs um some alternative version so um Fantastic division, though. Brilliant division. Loads of exciting fights, and, I, and I'm sure they will get made because um, 
They have to. I think Lopez has uh, coined Haney as an email champion, which you know is, is a bit disrespectful, but I actually quite like it. I think it's very fair. You know, he was he was obviously made the, the world champion by when Lomachenko was installed as the franchise champion. And I imagine it probably was done by email, such is that's 2020. Maybe <laughs> it might, it might the day, be the facts part in with these guys. Yeah. South Americans, they lack the facts from time to time. That's good enough for Lionel Messi. So you mentioned Haney takes on Yorkus Gamboa uh, next weekend, or this weekend coming, sorry. Deca, the odds one to 25 to 1 on for Haney, Gamboa 10 to 1, a fair reflection. Gamboa, of course, we, we, let's not belittle his achievements or chances, but obviously coming to the end of his career now. Yeah, yeah. Gambo's best days were well, well behind him. Uh, sort of recycled opponent now. Um, and Devin Haney, far too fresh, too young, too powerful. It'll finish, it'll stop him inside the distance handily and it'll have a belt around the shoulder at the end shouting about people. But it's another one of these fights where it's like, there's so many better people that I'd rather see him fight right now. Um, but given his age and everything else, sometimes you can't forget that how young and inexperienced actually he is because of the way he's pushed and, and everything else, that maybe this is the right kind of an opponent for him at this stage. Um, I would argue not. You can, if you, can, you can say that if you're not saying you're the WBC champion at the same time. You know, you can take learning fights and whatever. If you're saying you're the number one, then you need to be fighting opponents that um, reflect that but let's hope that he you know gets this one out of the way and then he moves on and then we do start seeing these fights because the problem is they're not fighting that often um, anyway these days generally especially not at the moment so when you get a, when you get a fight like that it's a bit like Davis you know he's fighting Santa Cruz in a you know okay matchup but so many other fighters you'd rather see him fight and then you don't see him for ages again um yeah, let's hope it's not the same with uh, with Haney. I think he's an absolute superstar waiting to happen. Um, so young, so charismatic, and um, obviously brilliant, brilliant fighter. Um, he's part of that vanguard of like young fighters like um, Ryan Garcia as well, to a slightly lesser extent. But you know, in that same picture with with Teofimo Lopez as well, um, and it is uh, exciting, exciting as a as a boxing fan to see that the, the sport is going to be you know, it's going to be represented by these young guys who've got another 10 years left in the game and they're already right there at the at the forefront. Um, but yeah, as far as Gamboa goes, I don't see it being a particularly um, uh, nice evening for him. I don't like to assume anything with WBC, but surely, assuming Haney comes through, he will, at worst, and still be a great fight, of course, fight the winner of Luke Campbell against Ryan Garcia. And they can just maybe tidy things up in terms of if, if or or to if he were Lopez and just tidy things up in terms of where actually everyone is ranking. But you're right. We know if we can separate by age, if you like, you've got Haney, Davis, and Lopez, and Garcia. So so those four, wh whatever happens with Luke Campbell, will go on longer than, than Campbell will. And then you've got Campbell, Lomachenko. It, it's it's you know you I guess you always worry maybe as a promoter as well in in boxing that you might have this gap when, when legends of the sport or the older generation retire. But at least at lightweight, we're looking at a decade, possibly, of, of these, let's call those four young ones, just hopefully fighting each other, but at least providing year in, year out with, with top fights. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you look at the, 
Scandi type, like German German boxing model, where they just didn't, they was unable to bring the talent through, you know. So once Arthur Abraham got past his best and you had, um, you know, Sturm and, you know, even the Klitschko's, but they sort of did their own thing. Um, they, you know, they, they wasn't always into developing new talent anyway. But now, you know, German, German boxing was at the forefront, you know, um, five, ten years ago. Now, not so much. So yeah, you're always, always worried about bringing the fighters through and then it's up to like the promoters to, to and the matchmakers to match them properly and develop them and make sure that they're, you know, they're well on their way. But yeah, but I think the lightweight division, I'm trying to have a good think. But um, yeah, you've got some got some older 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 names in there, as you say, with Lomachenko and Campbell. But with the young with the young fighters there as well, um, bright future. You know, they might Javante Davis obviously up and down between Super Feather and and lightweight, and Lopez might be moving up, and then all the belts get scattered again. And you know, there's there's a free for all. Um, but it's exciting fights, Camboso as well. Um, from the weekend, um, energetic, um, not not the youngest, but still, you know, uh, mid to late 20s. Um, just gonna have a good few years left and uh, interesting character in the division. So, yeah, great, great, great. Um, promoters can, can sleep at ease, I think. Anyone who's got any fighters there in, in, in that division, at least, and yeah, hopefully, WBC. Kind of gets tightened up a little bit about who is champion, because um, I get it. I, t- I sometimes I get it. Like whatever name you want to give your, you know, your super champion. I mean, I was a super champion, so I, I'm never going to um, uh, totally dis- disrespect it. If you're going to have um, multiple world champions for a governing body, but it's usually it ends up coming out of a good place, you know, where a champion's maybe laid up with injury or some contractual problems and, you know, the sport has to roll on. But once you've created that, once you've opened the door for that, then it's hard to, to take it away. Um, but when there is an opportunity to do that and clean it up and have one champion, um, I think I think it should be. Um, and whether that be, Haney has to step up and fight Lopez um, if they're both champions in, you know, in the time being, then... Um, in the years to come, then then that's great. Um, but if Lopez decides to move up a weight and vacate, then um, sort of the franchise belt should then just sort of disappear. But you know, there's going to be some promoter out there who sees, you know, that that WBC franchise belt as as up for grabs, and um, they're going to make a fight that's on paper too good to turn down, and it has to be has to be made. So um, yeah. No, can't be moaning. No more moans. Okay. Well, in that case, I, I want to ask this, even if it, it does lead to someone. When Damon Haney puts his head on the pillow at night, switches off the light, does he believe he is a world champion? I think he believe. I think he believes he's the best fighter in the world. He's the best. Breed. I genuinely think that's what he. That's what he thinks. So I don't. I don't reckon he cares. Um, and I'm sure he thinks, well, I'm going to beat this guy anyway. Well, he's the champion, but I beat him. So, I don't, yeah, I think he... I'm not sure there's much uh, introspection going on from Devin Haney, necessarily. Mm. He's believed in himself as much as anyone else, on the, as much as any other fighter on the planet. So, yeah. Um, it's not his fault, either, that he's got elevated like this. Um, he's hardly going to bat it away, is he? Um, it's a mess made by the WBC. And... But I do think that it'll be it'll be the proper champion at some point. Um, 
so yeah, um, he gets a bit of stick for it, but I would say it's WBC's fault. I think, I think just to jump in, um, an elevation to world championship status shouldn't be a thing. Like you should always have to fight for your world title. And as a fighter, that's what you want. I mean, Haney's had a defense of his world title, but he's kind of never won the world title. He's never prepared for a world title fight. He's kind of been robbed of that, you know? Um, even if he was fighting for a vacant you know, WBC world title, knowing that there's a franchise champion out there, it would have a slightly different feeling. Um, I agree with Deck. He 100% believes he's world a world champion, and he is, so he should do. Um, but elevating someone to world champion, I just never get that, you know, unless there was a controversy, you know, um, someone testing positive for, you know, a banned substance or something along those lines, or even just a diabolical decision, get that. But you being the interim champion or the something of the equivalent and the world, you know, the full world title goes vacant, then you should be next in line to fight for that, not just automatically elevated to world champion. Um, bizarre, real, real bizarre. Because say you lose your next fight, you never actually won a world title. And yet you've been world champion. It's, for me, just makes no sense. Well, if anyone wants to elevate us up various podcast YouTube lists, I, I'm sorry, I had to get it in. Please feel free. We will not complain at all. And that is all we have for this week. We'll be back next week to look at Devin Haney's performance and also preview, as I mentioned earlier, that female-dominated card featuring Terry Harper, Katie Taylor and Rachel Ball in a couple of weeks' time. Please do join us then.